0: Hello!
1: Welcome to the Fast God Stuff Podcast, where we make biblical theology simple, practical, and fun so that we can love God and others more.
0: I'm Conrad, and I'm running the Star Wars Half Marathon with my wife next week.
1: Oh, you gotta keep those legs moving, Conrad. And I'm Jesse, and I always travel with the ukulele. Awesome.
0: We're just two guys trying to follow Jesus, hanging out in the studio with our Bibles and
1: guitars. Take just thirty minutes fast. to chat about a theological topic God. and renew our minds with the good things of Christ.
0: It's got stuff.
1: Conrad, what are we talking about today?
0: Well, today we're going over how to answer: Does God exist? Two, three, four. How to answer? Does God?
1: So, what's the deal with this subject, Conrad?
0: So, we interact with many non Christians, and we should always be ready to share not only what we believe, but also why. So, we wanted to give you a tool for when someone might ask you about why you believe God exists. And no, you don't respond with, you just have to have faith, which is probably the worst answer that you can give. So, today we'll go over the top logical arguments for God's existence. And so, there's a couple caveats before we start. While what we are covering in this episode is based in logic, However, most people don't actually think logically when it comes to God. Some people think if you believe in God, then He exists for you and not for others. Others flat out hate the idea of God and won't accept any evidence to the contrary. This is all to say you cannot argue God into someone. All you can do is see if someone really wants to know what you believe or if they just really want to get into a fight with you. If they really are curious about what you believe, then we can answer their questions as lovingly as possible and allow the Holy Spirit to do its work in their
1: heart. So Conrad, if I were to ask you, why does God exist? What would you tell me?
0: The most popular argument for the existence of God is what I like to call the causality argument. Typically, the fancy word for this is the cosmological argument. Um, But forget that, just call it the causality argument. So the way I explain this is, uh, I like to start off with two things typically. Uh, Two things that we can agree on. I basically say, do you believe in cause and effect? Which everyone does because it's just... Because you have to. <laughs> you, you have to. And then um, also, do you believe that zero plus zero equals zero? And that's so we start off with two things that people can agree on cause and effect, and zero plus zero equals zero. Okay, so with just these two pieces of logic of what, of something that everyone believes, we have all that we need to explain the existence of God. So, and we'll, we'll get there in a, in a sec. So, so now we have to answer the question why is there something rather than nothing? So, Jesse, I'm going to have you're going to have to, um, do some a bit of math here oh man jesse what is zero plus zero? Zero. ah <laughs> amazing but the so thing is good at math. as soon as you people step out of the realm of math and they they go into the realms of the universe they just forget zero plus zero equals zero so right think about this for a sec if there was nothing and then nothing happened to that nothing what are you gonna get
1: i'm still gonna go with nothing
0: nothing exactly zero plus zero equals zero so how can we have the universe so If so, just having nothing at any point, you cannot come up with the universe because zero plus zero equals zero. So right there, we've actually ruled out one of the most common beliefs for why the universe exists, that the universe created itself. How can nothing exist? And then if nothing happens to that nothing, how can you get something? So basically, how can you go from zero plus zero equals one? If there was nothing and the universe didn't exist, well, then the universe can't give birth to itself. It's just like how you can't give birth to yourself. Like, right. Just imagine that for a sec. Jesse, can you give birth to yourself?
1: Worst image ever. That's just trying to pop into my head. Thanks for that, Conrad. Uh, Uh, No, obviously there's no way you can give birth to yourself, nor should you even try to think about that.
0: Yeah, it's completely illogical. And that's what people end up thinking when they say that the universe created itself. It's, Absolute absurdity. It's completely illogical, it's completely unscientific. it makes absolute no sense.: That's a good word. So since we've ruled out option one, self-creation as illogical, we are only left with one other logical alternative, which is self-existence, meaning something always existed. Now with self-existence, it's easy to get the universe using self-existence, because you start with something and then something happens to that something, and what do you get? Something. It's like one plus one equals two. Now, something having always existed might sound illogical at first, but it actually breaks no rules of logic. Like it doesn't break either the law of non contradiction or the law of cause and effect, and it doesn't break math. So, self existence is like having numbers already plugged into our math equation. But now the question is what numbers, which variables are we starting off with? Right. So, self existence can have two logical possibilities. If the universe exists now, then either one, the universe always existed. Or two, something that always existed created the universe. So I'll repeat that again. Self existence can have two logical possibilities. One, if the universe exists now, then either one, the universe always existed, or two, something that always existed created the universe. So we can also state this as cause and effect. The law of causality states that every effect needs a preceding cause. So logic tells us that there has to be a first cause, a cause to cause the effects that we see. In fact, We have to have a cause that actually causes causality itself.
1: To start with.
0: Yeah. So it gets a little bit confusing with a cause to cause causality.
1: My brain already did a somersault after you asked me to conceive of me burying myself.
0: (laughs) It's only going to get worse. (laughs) If you don't have a headache from listening to us, you're going to have a headache from thinking about what we're talking about.
1: Especially if you gave birth to yourself.
0: So... Why can't we just have a self-existent universe if that's one of the logical options? Well, you'd be right in saying that this doesn't break any logical rules. In fact, this is actually what Einstein was hoping to prove with his most famous theory, which is his
1: most famous theory? Theory of relativity.
0: Okay, general relativity. However, general relativity actually proves that the universe had a beginning. And what general relativity says is that space, time, and matter were all basically combined all had a beginning. So according to Einstein... Who's much smarter than us. Yeah, and he basically everything, all science is basically based on what he came up with. So the quickest way to prove this to someone is to get out your phone and do this. Okay, Google, what is the age of the universe? 13.772 billion years. Here's a summary from space.com. Okay, so (laughs) quiet, stop, I'm done. Stop, you need Jesus. Stop, Stop. how do I stop this? (laughs) I turned off the volume.
1: (laughs) You caused the effect, Conrad. Stop. Uh
0: Okay, so basically what that proves to us is that I asked basically Google, how old is the universe? It actually gave us a date. It said 13.8 billion years ago, whatever. So before the fabric of space-time existed, since there was no time, there was an unchanging reality where the universe didn't exist, and then it was born on its birthday 13.8 billion years ago. Boom. Just like how you didn't exist before your birthday... The universe didn't exist and then it existed there was a beginning so that's how you can prove to somebody that the universe is not self-existent right so if the universe isn't self-created and it isn't self-existent then the only thing that we're left with is one possibility that it has to ultimately have been caused by something that itself is self-existent and this uh, this self-existent thing is what we call the first cause or the uncaused cause It's what Aristotle, one of the fathers of logic, actually called the unmoved mover. Aristotle used logic alone to prove that God exists. And like Aristotle, from logic alone, we can figure out some of the attributes of this first cause. So remember, there was an existence where space, time, and matter didn't exist. So this first cause, it has to be spaceless, timeless, and matterless. And since it is spaceless, in a sense, it is everywhere. It's omnipresent. And since it is timeless, it is unchanging. And since it is matterless, it's not physical, and it's spirit. But one of the most important attributes of this, this whole thing is, is because it's, this thing is self-existent, it actually has the power of being. Not just the power of being, though. In fact, this thing itself is being. It, this thing doesn't just exist. It is existence itself. This thing isn't just real. It is reality itself. So this fancy term for this self-existence thing is City, aseity, A-S-E-I-T-Y. But having all these things, we still quite haven't arrived at the point where this self-existent thing is God, what we consider God. We still need one more attribute. So remember, this first cause exists outside of time, so it is unchanging. So for it to not only just sit there unchanging for all eternity, in a sense, it must have a consciousness to actually have wanted to do anything. So along with this consciousness and all the other previous points, you basically have what most people consider to be God. So just from simple math and basic logic, you arrive at something can't come from nothing. And since the universe had a beginning, it had a cause. And this cause has to be self-existent, unchanging, spaceless, timeless, matterless, and conscious, without which the universe wouldn't exist. So Jesse, do you want evidence for God?
1: You know, I do. I asked you that about 10 minutes ago.
0: then look up (laughs) and look around you. The entire universe is the evidence that God exists because the universe is an effect and not the unchanging first cause
1: that preaches.
0: So if you have a headache right now, don't worry about it. Like um, just listen to this podcast like 20 more times.
1: So how are some ways in which we can actually use what you just talked about in our actual lives?
0: Okay. So remember loving God is the greatest commandment. So loving God has three elements, praise, Thanks and obedience. So, understanding God's attributes is actually the first part of praise. Now, the main attribute about God that we learned in all this is his self existence. And God's self existence should make you understand the name that God gave himself. And according to the Old Testament, God's name is I am. So, you, do you get it? From what we were talking about, God is, God is being, God doesn't just exist. He is existence existence. itself. God is being itself. God is reality itself. God is the great I am. So God's name isn't justice. It's not even love. It is I am. Now, this should lead us to a deeper appreciation of who God is and deeper praise. So in your prayer life, you can just go, God, I praise you because you are the great I am. And when you read the Old Testament and you see these things where he is saying, he's unchanging, and that he never breaks his promises, well, it's because he's the unchanging, self-existent first cause. So here's my 15-second Fast God Stuff summary. Logic says you can't get something from nothing, and logic dictates that there must be an unchanging, self-existent first cause. And since the universe had a beginning and undergoes change, the first cause must be an unchanging God. As Christians, we believe that the Bible gets all of this right, and further reveals to us that God in his power chose to bring us into being to show his love to us and for us to participate in this love by loving God and loving others as part of his family from this day forward through endless millennia. (laughs) So Jesse, after my long-winded segment there,
1: Oh, that Uh, was so good, though. Everybody put on your tool belt. I got mine on.
0: Okay, so, (laughs) Jesse. (laughs) Stupid. (laughs) So, Jesse, how, what is another way that we could answer, does God exist?
1: A commonly expressed objection to the existence of God is often There can't be a God because there's too much evil in the world. Mm -hmm. And I've heard lots of people say that. That's probably
0: one of the biggest ones.
1: Absolutely. And so this is a response to that question in particular. It sometimes goes by the name, the moral argument, Mm -hmm. but really it's just the awesome argument. Yeah. And it starts with this understanding that everybody, when they say something like that, like there's too much evil in the world for God to exist, that that statement comes with baggage, comes with presuppositions or things underneath it that hold it up, tacit assumptions. So we need to understand when somebody says that, what are they assuming? So here are a couple of things they're assuming. First, when you assume there's too much evil in this world, you have to assume there's good, mm-hmm. obviously, right? Because yeah. how else would you know the difference? Yeah. A fish doesn't know it's wet because it's always in water. Only when it's given the opposite position can it make the distinction. Second, you're assuming that when there's good, you're assuming there's such a thing as an objective standard or some kind of moral law on the basis of which to differentiate between good and evil. Mm-hmm. So you've created some kind of scoring system.
0: Yeah.
1: These things are good. And these things are bad. And I have some kind of objective way to measure those two things. But if you assume that there is some kind of moral law, some kind of scoring system, you must posit a moral lawgiver. But that's exactly the one, most of the time, who these people are trying to disprove. So because if there's no moral lawgiver, there's no moral law. If there's no moral law, there's no good. If there's no good, there's no evil.
0: Right, because if you believe in morality and good or evil, then you believe that there is this universal list of should and shouldn'ts. That apply to everyone, regardless of personal preference, cultural norms, or national laws. Like, everyone should feed their babies, and everyone shouldn't eat their babies. (laughs) Everyone should value all races equally. Everyone shouldn't be racists. Everyone should love their parents. Everyone shouldn't kill their parents for fun. And this universal list of should and shouldn'ts is what we call the moral law. And if this moral law applies to humans universally, then it means that this list exists apart from what you and I believe apart from cultures, apart from human thought. So therefore, some non-human mind must have come up with this list. Right. And this list must have been created when we were created as part of our design. Like I designed this thing with this purpose in mind. Like if you were designing an app, I designed this app with this purpose in mind to do this stuff here and not this stuff over here. So if we don't have a designer, then we have no built-in purpose. There's no, we should do this, And shouldn't do that there is no right or wrong for what we're supposed to do there is no good or evil and there is no morality boom so believing in morality means that these things must be true that there's this list of universal should and shouldn't that transcends human thought and that this list must have been created by a mind that transcends human thought and that list was created by our designer to give us purpose and this designer is god So if there is no God, then there is no universal list of should and shouldn'ts, and therefore no justification for anybody's idea of morality.
1: Which is really not the world we all live in on day to day, like where we go and do our shopping and conduct our business. We don't live in that kind of world where there's no good and evil. There clearly is a way. And in fact, that's a good point because we all assume some kind of objective standard. And what I mean by objective is something that's independent of human like opinion.
0: Yeah, human thought. Yes. something that transcends human thought.
1: Right, outside of it. So for example, if you don't believe that there's an objective standard, then just go outside your house and take some random person's cell phone. Yeah, Because obviously we're all going to believe that whether or not that's inconvenient, it's objectively wrong to steal somebody else's cell phone. When mm-hmm. I mean, you can go try it. But there's going to be an immediate response and it's going to be based on this kind of moral law that's yeah. outside of ourselves. Right,
0: so morality can't be something that we as an individual create Because if that were the case, then everyone can come up with their own list of should and shouldn'ts. And if that were the case, then anyone can say it's okay to eat their babies or do whatever they
1: want. So maybe the moral law actually comes from our culture. Maybe Mm -hmm. it doesn't come from God. It just comes from the general ethos of the population in which we live, right? So the problem with that is even remote people groups observe some kind of moral code that's actually very similar to everyone else's. So there might be differences that exist in those cultures about, say, like civil matters but in terms of virtues like bravery and loyalty we're all going to celebrate those right, yeah. and for things like vices of greed and cowardice all They're those we universally hate yeah. so there's something even beyond culture there you know for example in some cultures they love their neighbors In other cultures they eat them right <laughs> and if, if we find that morally reprehensible one is better than the other then we're making a judgment that transcends exactly. culture yeah. and that sense of value that scoring system must come from somewhere outside of that.
0: Right, because if morality came from within a culture, then we could never say to another culture, oh, slavery is wrong or racism is wrong or genocide is wrong because, oh, that's just your culture and it's up to each culture to believe whatever they want. So if you're going to say that racism is wrong or oppression of women is wrong, then you have to appeal to some higher moral authority than your culture or their culture.
1: Exactly. And where does that measuring stick come from? We still have an answer. It can't come from culture. So the moral law is not simply a record of what mankind does. And this is the weird thing about the moral law is rarely do people ever live up to their own moral code. Right. Yeah. So we yeah. have this conviction of conscience somewhere within us that seems to come from the outside transcends us. It provides some measuring stick. So where do we get all of these ideas about how people should behave and Mm -hmm. why are they universal? That's the question we're trying to answer. And it needs a moral law giver. So luckily, that giver of the moral law is God. And here's where the Bible not only gives us really good insight, but it just marries up so beautifully with reality. This is what Paul writes in the book of Romans in chapter two. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them.
0: So basically what this verse is saying is that li- that this list of should and shouldn'ts is something that God put into our consciences, which is good because if it's left up to human thought, this list of should and shouldn'ts, then any action can be justified because there is no higher authority to appeal to. Mm-hmm. This really means that there, if, if there is no God, it's not that any action can be justified. It's more accurate to say the opposite, that any sense of morality actually has no justification to begin with. It's like if I said wearing a red shirt is good and wearing a blue shirt is evil, well, who cares what I think? Or if I say eating human brains is good and eating celery is evil, it doesn't matter what I think or what you think because there is no higher authority to say any different. So we would have no higher justification for our set of moral ideas beyond our own preferences.
1: And nobody else but God can explain that for us, can explain the origin of why we even have good and evil. For Mm -hmm. instance, evolution or naturalism, it can't explain it, because that says all of life came out of some kind of primordial slime, like time plus matter plus chance, Mm -hmm. not only equaled the world, but somehow gave us some kind of moral code. But how is that possible when Darwinism is at play and basically the fittest survive and we should always embrace the fittest. So it would be totally okay for all of us just to hack up babies, even though right. that sounds horrible.
0: But to save ourselves so that exactly. we survive because it's the survival of the fittest. Exactly. So if survival of the fittest was the only code, then you can just go around killing everyone else because you're the fittest.
1: Exactly. And yet, at the same time, if anybody did that, we would find it absolutely morally reprehensible right away.
0: Yeah. And at this point, people will go, well, it's wrong to kill because it doesn't help the common good. But right there, you're already borrowing the word good from God. Right. If it's up to humans to define what good is, then that term changes from human to human and it isn't universal. So, like a dictator could say, the common good is wiping out the disabled and minorities. Well, then you might say, well, he's wrong because humans have value. But again, you have to borrow the idea that humans have value from God and humans only have value if they were specifically specially designed to have value over the rest of the universe. But if atheism is true and we are essentially a cosmic fart, (laughs) then the molecules that make up our bodies have as much value as the molecules that make up asteroids or poop. And what we're left with is evolution, which is completely run by chance. And basically what evolution has produced are like cockroaches and rats, flies, dung beetles, weeds, the HIV virus, cancer, World War I, World War II, terrorists and racists. So if we're a cosmic accident, then we have no value because we aren't special. And not only we are not special, we have no purpose because purpose assumes an intelligent designer. You were right, Conrad. So in an atheistic worldview, there's just matter. There's just physics and chemistry, and humans are just bags of chemicals. Chemicals reactions in my brain tell me to behave a certain way, and then there are physical reactions when my body interacts with other bags of chemicals. And this bag of chemicals called Conrad punches this other bag of chemicals called Jesse, and there's just physics (laughs) and there's chemistry. Right, and then yeah, you're knocked out. But there's no right or wrong for this one bag of chemicals Why to I knock always into Always get knocked out in our <laughs> examples. <laughs> but it's the same thing as if an asteroid crashed into the Earth. Yeah, there's no difference. It's just you have matter hitting matter, or chemistry and physics happening. There is no morality in that framework.
1: But that is not the way our consciences behave, and everybody has that innate sense that there is right, there is wrong, and the person asking this question or presenting this objection by saying. I can't believe in God because there's too much evil is proving that very thing by asking the question.
0: Right. So the most common argument to disprove God actually completely proves God. So people will say if God is good and evil exists, therefore God doesn't exist. But evil is actually a list of actions that God doesn't want us to do. And how can this list exist unless God exists in the first place to create that list? Yeah. So without God, there is no list. And if there is no list, there can be no evil actions. And we can say it the opposite way. If you believe evil actions exist, therefore, you must believe that there is this list of things God doesn't want you to do, and therefore, you believe that God exists in order to create that list.
1: Right. Every time that there is a march or a stand or an appropriate expression of justice or human rights... Every time, all the time, those who are doing that are expressing that there is a creator, that he's given us a moral law, and that there's value in that law.
0: And yeah, what's interesting is you have to borrow from God to try to prove that God doesn't exist. Yes. Yeah, so atheism has to borrow two things from God, namely human value and human purpose. Okay, so human value. If humans weren't specifically designed differently than other stuff in the universe, then we have no value That over and above the other stuff in the universe, like asteroids, rock, or poop. So then people can devalue others as much as they want because humans have no value to begin with. And then the second thing is human purpose that they have to borrow. If humans weren't designed to do certain things and not to do other certain things, then we have no inherent purpose, which means anyone can come up with their own purpose and do whatever they prefer, regardless of anyone else.
1: It's crazy. I've heard some theologians describe that as sitting on God's lap and slapping him in the face. Right. Yeah.
0: Or just saying, sitting in God's lap and then going, you don't exist. Right.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It, sa- it sounds funny because it actually is. But this is the kind of thing that it's great to have a conversation about, to understand again, what are some of those presuppositions in a statement like that.
0: Yeah. And you'll see that a lot of people disagree with God's morality list. Well, that's fine. Well, y- you can disagree. Which is, in fact, what most people do. And by saying that their list is better, then they are saying that their list is right and anyone who disagrees with them is wrong. And since people don't have any justification for their morality list other than their own personal preferences, they have now taken the place of God, which is, of course, the very reason people prefer their own morality list. But what it would be illogical to do is to say, I disagree with God's morality list and then say, therefore, he doesn't exist. So, Jesse, what is the application in all this?
1: Here's some great things that you can do. The first is ask questions when you encounter objectives from someone about the existence of God. This is one thing that Jesus did throughout his teaching in the New Testament is ask a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Try to understand the appropriate entry point and the presuppositions of things that underpin somebody's statement. So you have a better idea of how to converse with them in a real way. Yeah. Here's the second thing is... Appeal to the shared innate belief that the human idea of decent behavior is obvious to everyone, that we do hold that in common, that there is this sense of right and wrong, and use that as a way to help explain where that sense comes from. Mm-hmm. And here's the last thing. If you found any of this interesting, read two books about, by, some, by two people who are way smarter than me. The first is read a book called Can Man Live Without God by Ravi Zacharias. So good. He impacts, takes a lot of that book to impact the moral argument. And the second book that I recommend is Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, especially the first part of that book, where he goes into this in great detail. And you will be thoroughly equipped to think rightly about this and also have some really great conversations. Here's the 15-second fast God stuff summary. The moral argument begins with the fact that all people recognize some moral code, that some things are right and some things are wrong. Every time we argue about right and wrong, we appeal to a higher law that we assume everyone is aware of holds to, it is not free to arbitrarily change. Right and wrong imply a higher standard or law, and law requires a lawgiver. Because the moral law transcends humanity, this universal law requires a universal lawgiver, and that lawgiver is God. Yeah.
0: So the major reason why we went over today's topic is to give you a tool to obey this command in 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Notice this verse uses the term make a defense, in other words, logical arguments, and the logic and evidence is on our side. Tools like the cosmological slash causality argument and morality argument are logical arguments you can present to the one who asks you for the reason for the hope that is within you. So we must do as 1 Peter 3 says, and be prepared. We must always be studying scripture through personal devotions, personal study, group study, apps, podcasts, books, and websites. And then finally, don't go looking for a fight, but wait for the opportunity where someone is honestly asking the question for the hope that is within you. Then with your prepared defense, Speak to them in love and gentleness because your conversation might not change their mind immediately, but through this new conversational relationship, your Christian love might be to them just as good of evidence of God's existence as the words you say.
1: Well, Conrad, that is all the time that we have for today. Oh, no. Make sure you subscribe and rate the Fast God Stuff podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you like to podcast.
0: And also check out FastGodStuff.com for all kinds of content to let you know that you are not a cosmic fart.
1: <laughs> Until next time, love God. Love others. That's, that's it. it. Two, three, four. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. To Fast God
0: Stuff. Our voices are so sweet. Our hearts
1: more law.